Welcome to Souls Harbor's weekly podcast. We believe that God has called us to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, help them grow to be like Jesus, and involve them in reaching lost people. Listen now to this week's message. Hey, if you've got your Bibles this morning, um, grab them, open up with me to the, the, the book of Philippians. I've been preaching here for the last few weeks. I want to, I thought this would be the last week. I think I'm actually going to preach one more message next week. And I'll tell you, I'll just tell you on the front end why. Um, I started into this message and before I knew it, the introduction became the message. That's kind of the way this whole thing fell together today. Uh, God gave me, I really believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me a very specific thing to teach, preach, and pray over this morning. Uh, and I'll share that as we get into the message. But when the introduction becomes the sermon, then the sermon has to go to the next week. Or I keep you all here for two hours, and I like you and prefer you like me, all right? So, and I know, I know you're like me. When you get hungry, you get grouchy. <laughs> so I try not to do that. Since 1961, 1961, uh, John F. Kennedy, I believe, if I got my history right, because this is actually before I was born. This is actually older than me, Joe. 1961, um, John F. Kennedy was president of the United States, and I believe it was in his inaugural address. He made a statement that has become very famous, and it goes like this. Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. How many of you are familiar with that? How many of you remember hearing that? We'll really get ages out there now, right? Good for you. From that moment on, from that point in time on, ever since that day to the present, every president, with the exception of, I think, Gerald Ford, has made volunteerism, volunteering, a big part of their administration. Some have done it uh, with speeches. Very few have been that poignant with, with the words they've said that have, have, have really carried through posterity. Some have done it with uh, more actions and policies and creating new departments, but every president has made volunteerism a big deal and, and an important thing. And I wonder this morning, have you ever thought about what it is that motivates people to actually volunteer? I mean, by definition, we know it's not for money, right? We don't volunteer for money. Now, it may be that we volunteer our time and our energy and our effort. It may be we do it out of a sense of responsibility, um, a sense of commitment, and, and that's not a bad thing. But what is, it, what is it that makes you volunteer? What is it that motivates you to give of yourself, give of your time, take away from what you could do for you or even you could do for your family to go and do for somebody who maybe you don't even know or at least know well? What is it that brings about volunteerism? Now, I don't know what your thoughts on it are, but I have put some thought into this, and one of the things that I believe is God has placed in the heart of man a desire to serve. Let me put it another way. I believe that it is in the heart of man, mankind, most mankind, to actually live a life that makes a difference and helps somebody else. Now, now look, we, you'll say, Pastor Bray, then why don't we have more volunteers? Well, okay, the seed is in there but it's constantly fighting against the seed that says, you need more me time, you need to take care of me first. If I don't look out for me, nobody else will. If I don't pat myself on the back, who's going to do it? You know, I mean, we, so we fight against that old sin nature, but I believe that seed is in there. I mean, isn't that really 
Isn't that really what God showed us with Jesus hanging on the cross, was that thing of serving other people and helping other people? I really do believe that there's a piece of that's in the heart of all people. The last two weeks, we've been looking at the book, the letter to the Philippians and the place of the church and the life of the Christian. And here's where I'm going with this this morning. It's through the church, which is the families, you all, people, that God chooses to work and impact the lives of those around us. It's through, it's through the church that God works. Right? I mean, there was a time Jesus walked the earth. There was a time Jesus walked the, the, the face of, of the earth. And Jesus Himself, and we're going to look at some stories here in a moment, Jesus Himself stepped in and made a difference, impacted lives and changed, changed situations and, and, and helped people. But with Jesus' ascension, that passed on to His church, His body, right? We, there's a reason we call us the body of Christ. It passed on to us. It's through the church, it's through you, it's through me, that God makes a difference in lives. What kind of difference is it that He makes? And I want to do this this morning. I, I want to look at j- just a few stories, a few of the situations where God has made a difference in somebody's life. Because maybe you're here this morning and you're really struggling with, is my life really matter? Am I really making a difference? And maybe some of these will give you some inspiration of how you can make a difference. And understand it's through the work of the church that God makes a difference. Go with me. We're going to come back to Philippians. And you can, I'm going to read these actually. So you can turn there if you want or you can just listen as you choose. Luke chapter 8. Let me just read a couple verses out of the first part of that chapter. Luke chapter 8. We hear this story. Soon afterwards, Jesus went through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And I want to focus in for a moment on a life that, that Jesus impacted, and it was the life of Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary has kind of got a, a, a reputation she doesn't deserve. Many, If you ask many Christians, they would say, yeah, Mary Magdalene was a woman of ill repute. She was a woman of loose morals. If you actually read the story, read the Scripture, we don't, there's really no evidence to prove that. What we do know is Mary Magdalene was a woman that Jesus cast seven demons out of. Now, we don't know some things. We don't know how long this woman had lived her life bound up and and filled with with satanic power, satanic influence, demons. We don't know, but what we do know, at least what I know, and and just from the little bit of personal experience I've had in this area, demonic possession, influence, power, oppression is a miserable, horrible way to live life. Jesus stepped into this woman's life somewhere along the way, and He helped her. Jesus stepped into this woman's life somewhere along the way. We don't know exactly the details of it, but somewhere along the way, we we can imagine it would have been somewhat like some of the other instances where He cast out the demons, but somewhere along the way, He came up to this woman, Mary Magdalene, and He realized she wanted to be free from the influence of the enemy, and He cast the demons out of her. Now, Jesus did that. 
Jesus did that when he was walking this earth. But folks, listen, God has called the church to be the body of Christ, which means that we have a responsibility. We have an opportunity to make the difference in people's lives. You say, Pastor Barry, are you telling me to be a, a, an exorcist? Well, I do believe in demonic possession. I do believe that it does happen. I have seen it with my own eyes. Um, but, you know, there's a whole lot of oppression and a whole lot of spiritual influence that takes place in the lives of people apart from what Mary Magdalene went through. I'm telling you this morning is you're the body of Christ. Your prayers matter. How many of you have somebody in your family or your friends, your circle, that is just not walking with Christ? They're not interested in walking with Christ. They don't have a relationship with Christ. How many of you have somebody? Let me see your hand. You know, 2 Corinthians, Paul makes a statement. He says, he says, they're blinded by the spirit, the forces of this world. Those people, and I, I've, I've struggled with this my whole life. I've had moments of this. I've got family members. I've got, I've got a, a, a brother. I've got cousins. I've got friends. I got high school friends that themselves have no relationship with Jesus Christ, and they seem to have no desire for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I've struggled with this. How can that be? How can they not realize eternity is a real thing? They're blinded by the forces and the power of the darkness of this world. Do you know what beats dark forces? Do you know what defeats dark forces? Do you know what defeats blindness? It's the prayers of the people of God being offered up on a regular basis and commanding those things just like Jesus did for Mary. And, and what I'm saying this morning is if you want to be a person who makes a difference, here's one way you can do it. One way you can do it is step forward on a regular basis and pray for them and pray against the spirit of blindness that keeps them from seeing reality. But Pastor Barry, I've been doing that for a long time. How long's too long? There was a song back in the 90s, I think it was, that went something like this. A lifetime's not too long to live as friends. You guys remember that song? So if you're a friend and a lifetime's not too long to live as friends, is a lifetime really too long to be praying against the spiritual darkness that keeps people bound up? Why do people volunteer? See, I'm talking about volunteering this morning in a way that you don't even have to put your name on a piece of paper. You're volunteering between you and God to say, I'm going to pray for that person. I'm going to speak against that spiritual force. I'm going to rebuke that blindness, and I'm going to see Jesus Christ get a hold of their heart and set them free. We see in Jesus the examples of what it means to help somebody. We see another story in John 8. Um, Jesus shares, or, or, or the John shares this story uh, of Jesus He's speaking and teaching in the, in the, uh, in the synagogue. And as he comes out, he, he, he kind of squats down and he begins to ride in the sand. And the Pharisees bring out this woman. And, and it, we pick it up in verse 8. Uh, and once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. And I'm going to go back a little further than that. Let me go all the way back to verse 1. They went each to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning and came again to the temple. And all the people came to him and sat down and taught them. He taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. 
And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they had heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Do you know how you can be a help to people? You know how we can be the body of, of, of Christ, how we can be a help to people? You know, we, we read that and we focus in on the woman who was caught in adultery many times. And certainly there's a reality there. But I think sometimes the reality, we got to be careful because we get it skewed. The reality is Jesus offered her grace and mercy. She didn't deserve. There's nowhere in that story where it says she wasn't guilty. But Jesus offered her grace and mercy. You want to be a help to somebody? Find somebody whose life's a wreck. Somebody who has so much history they don't think God can love them anymore. Somebody who has so much history that they don't think they have any place in the church or as a part of this family. And offer them grace and offer them mercy. We read the story and we see how Jesus helped somebody and we see how he volunteered his life and his time and his reputation to go out and actually spend time with this woman and stand up for this woman. But there's another thing that took place there. How many years had these Pharisees and these unrighteous men who stood there ready to stone her to death and to test Jesus, how many, how many years had they been living with their own hypocrisy to the point they were blind to their own blindness and hypocrisy? And Jesus in just that one sentence challenged them. Are you really sure? Okay, if you're convinced you're righteous, you throw the first stone. I got to wonder if they weren't thinking through Matthew chapter, uh, is it chapter 6? It's probably a little later in Matthew. It's a Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. We like to quote that one, don't we? But we don't really take time to think about the rest of it. Judge not that you be not judged because to the level that you judge another person, you yourself will be judged. In other words, don't judge hypocritically. How can we help people? We see these stories in the New Testament, the Scripture. We could look at Levi, the tax collector. Jesus took this man who had no reputation, who was despised by his fellow countrymen, and he brought him in. And he, and he made him one of his disciples. We could look at the man that was consumed with leprosy. How many of you know somebody that's sick? We prayed this morning over people that were sick. How many of you know somebody this morning that's sick, that is sick, that, need, that, that is carrying a disease to the level of leprosy where they were shunned? Jesus stepped in and he helped them. We could talk about the children. It was Jesus that said, bring the little children to me. And we miss this sometimes. We think a variety of things, but the reality is children in the ancient world weren't really that valuable. We put a high premium on our children in America as a rule. In the ancient world, children just weren't that important. Many of them died anyway. Parents had a lot of them, so somebody could take care of them in their old age. And here is this incredibly important well-respected rabbi, Jesus, who looks at these little children who their whole life have had no value and says, bring them to me so I can pray over them, hug them, care for them. 
how can we be the body of Christ? We love the little children. And, and we say little. It may not, they may not have even been that little. They, little is something we kind of assume in there. Even in the translation, they were children. Could have been teenagers for all we know. Here's what I want to share this, moment, this, this morning. How can we make a difference? How can we make a difference? How can we make a difference? Now, the sermon started out with this idea of uh, Philippians 1.6. I taught on this last week. It says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And I taught last week, preached last week, we're all a work in progress. Do you know the key? The key to a work in progress? Do you know the key to a work in progress? It would be work. This message started out with this. You know, I've learned over the years. Um, when people come to me and say, hey, we got a job to do. It won't be a big deal. You know what that usually means, right? I love my wife. She's the worst. I got a project for you, Barry. It, it, it won't be. It's not. It's not a big deal. And I'm looking at the project thinking, okay. I learned something as I, a, a lot of years ago. When somebody comes to me and says, hey, there's work to do, one of the first questions you need to ask is, who's going to do the work? Right? And this message, when it comes to the key to a work in progress is work, the first place I was going to start is, who's going to do the work? And there's three people that do the work, and I was going to preach that this morning. The first one is God, the second one is me, and the third one is you. But I'm going to just take a few moments this morning, and I'm going to focus in on the first one, and that's God. Who's going to do the work? The others are true, and I plan on preaching the rest next week, but the others are true. But who's going to do the work? And the answer is God. Philippians 2, um, 13 says it this way. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, you may ask, what does this have to do with me helping somebody, me impacting somebody else's lifestyle? Because the truth is, if God's doing the work, then why do I even have to be involved? Here's the reality. I have friends in various places, various life circumstances, people I care about. Some of them are people of the church here. Some of them are people that live far away. Some of them are my family members. Some of them are friends, like I said, that I went to high school with. And they need somebody to impact their lives for a variety of reasons. Some need to fall in love with God. Some need to come to realize God exists. Some need to break addictions in their lives. Some need God to touch them and heal them. But for various reasons... I can't help them, but I care about them. How many got somebody like that in your life? Here's what I believe God really wanted me to say this morning and focus in more than anything else. We're called to help all of those people that I, I read the examples of, but oftentimes we don't know how, or we don't have the opportunity because we live far away. We don't have the opportunity because they're not interested in hearing what we have to say. We don't have the ability. So what can we do? 
what we're left is with this reality that is God who does the work anyway. It, it's, the, it's the reality that my family who doesn't know Jesus, who has no interest in hearing me talk about God, has no interest in God's stuff. It's the, it's the, it's the realization that God's the one that's going to have to do the work anyway, so maybe the best work I can do is to pray for them. It's the reality of realizing that that person in my life who is sick, who needs healed, as much as I want to help, I'm not a physician. And if I was a physician, many times we don't have the answer. We don't know what to do. And maybe many times the best thing I can do is realize that it's God who does the work, and I can pray, and I can believe, and I can hold faith for them and with them, and I can let God do what only God can do. That's volunteerism. Many times that's the most powerful thing that you can do. There's a lot of times where there's parts that I have where there are things that I can do, and I'm going to talk very specifically about them next week. But this week, I felt, think God wanted me to just remind you all that it's God that works for His good pleasure, not me. It's God that works for His good pleasure, not me. You see, a key to work in progress is work. It's work. And sometimes the hardest work is keeping the faith, praying, and trusting God for them. Sometimes that's the hardest work I'll ever do. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back this morning. We're going to pray. Pray for you all. I felt this morning as I was pulling this all together, and really, I, I always get up on Sunday morning, work through my altar call, and God, what do you specifically want me to do and say? And I really felt God say, you, this morning, you need to pray, you need to pray for the prayers. You need to pray for the caregivers. We need miracles in our church. We've been praying for those, and we're going to continue to pray for those, but this morning, I felt God say, you need to pray for the prayers and you need to pray for the caregivers. And that's what we're going to do. There's no more powerful experience you'll ever have in your life than being a part of that moment in time where God steps in and a broken life is put back together. You understand what I'm saying? You will never have more joy in your life than that moment in time where you have a part in God stepping in and healing somebody that is sick and without hope or ate up by darkness or completely given up on their chance of being redeemed because they don't even believe there's a God. You'll, there's no, you'll never have more joy in your life than that moment where God allows you to have a part in doing what only He can do. And I believe God wants to do the miraculous. 
I believe God wants to heal. I believe God wants to deliver. I believe God wants to restore. I believe God wants to lift waves of discouragement and depression. I believe God to this day still wants to work in the lives and the hearts of people through the church, including this church. And you'll never have more excitement in your life than the moment where you've invested yourself in prayer and holding the faith and trusting God for somebody and God stepping in and giving them their miracle. And knowing that you had a peace, you had a place, you had a part. You were part of the volunteer army that God called to be His body and to make the difference in somebody's life. You'll never have more joy in your life in that moment. But I can tell you as somebody who has friends and family that I've been praying for for decades, it's hard work. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor at indy.rr.com.